Torah means instruction. It refers to instructions given to our people by God as part of our covenant with him. So we are chosen by God to be members of his covenant, B'nai B'rit, members of a covenant um, with God. And that covenant includes instructions that God has given us, which we have committed to follow and fulfill. Now, when we say Torah instructions, it usually splits into two parts. There is the oral Torah, or the non-written instructions that God has given us, which over the years have since been written down, but were not originally written down, and what we call the written Torah. Now, we believe that the oral Torah came first, and it is the primary source of Judaism. In other words, God taught Moses the Torah, the instructions orally. Moses taught it to our people orally. It was only later, at the end of Moses' life, that he wrote the Torah and um, gave the written Torah to us. However, most of the, much of the written Torah is written in code form, making it hard to actually understand what it says without knowing the keys to the code, uh, without knowing how to decipher the code, which our oral Torah gives us the keys to understand exactly what it says. When exactly was the written Torah written down? So there are, um, there are two, there's a co conflict in our tradition over here. One, according to one um, tradition, it was written by, originally written by Moses when he came down from Mount Sinai the final time. But then he only wrote the beginning, the first um, book and a half. And then later at the end of his life wrote the rest. Well, possibly he wrote the entire thing um, at the end of his life. Possibly it was a mix of both where he wrote essentially an early draft of part of the Torah earlier on, but later he wrote the entire thing as we had. Yamosha did have the entire Torah as we have it today at the end of his life, and he handed it to our people. He handed it to the tribes, first the tribe of Levian and the other tribes, giving everybody an opportunity to copy from his original Torah. That original Torah that Moses had stayed with the people. It stayed inside the Ark of the Covenant. It was placed there. Um, <laughs> excuse me. And it stayed with the people until the days of King Yoshiahu, which was about 800 years after Moses, toward the end of the first temple. King Yoshiahu, hearing prophecy that the temple will be destroyed, decided to hide the Ark of the Covenant together with the tablets that Mo of Moses, as well as the original Torah, was all hidden. And we have not yet found it, and so it has all been hidden. So we no longer have the original Torah of Moses. However, we have kept our Torah fairly accurate. There is almost no discrepancies between different Torahs, although we Jews have been sp uh, spread out among the diaspora for thousands of years in many, many different places. There is only a single letter in which there is a discrepancy between different communities. Other than that, the Torah is almost entirely, um, every single letter is exact from one Torah scroll to the next. Yes? What does it consist of? I'm going to get to that. Very good. Very good question. Mendel, can you close that door? So the written Torah... Now we're going to focus today not on the oral Torah, which is the bulk of our teachings, but on the cryptic code that Moses gave us, the written Torah, which is written in the Torah scroll. So the written Torah is written in biblical Hebrew, um, which is an early version of Hebrew. 
um, there were some, today there's a whole field of biblical criticism, but the Hebrew of the Torah is a very early version of Hebrew, earlier than the version of the later books of our prophets, and an earlier Hebrew definitely than that was spoken during the Second Temple period. So it's an early Hebrew. And it's written, there are a few other languages mixed in here and there. Um, very little, but almost entirely Hebrew, words here and there from other languages. Um, and it is written with letters known as Ashuris letters. Now, there were historically another system of letters called Hebrew letters that was widely used for non-religious things during the first and second temple periods. Um, however, that we found um, in archaeology, and, uh, they, and they were called Hebrew letters. Uh, but we also had, uh, or Lashon Ivri, but the Torah itself was written in Ashuris letters, uh, which is a different form, and uh, very similar to the letters that we're familiar today as the Hebrew alphabet, and because um, that's what's essentially been retained. Our tradition is that the original Torah, going all the way back to Moses, was written in Ashuris in that form of alphabet. Now, the Ashuris that the Hebrew is written with is a very distinct, not just alphabet, but script, where each letter there's an exact way to write it. It has to have the exact curve, it's somewhat calligraphy, with um, thicker and thinner parts of the letters, so it's not something that you would need a fountain pen, or the way Torah is written is with a feather and ink, um, but you'd need a kind of pen with a long tip that would allow you to tilt it to make thicker parts of the letters and thinner parts of the letters, and each letter is exact the way it is written, some letters have little crowns at the top, and so there's an exact way the Torah is written. The Torah itself is split into five books, which are then split into 54 parshas, or 54 portions. Those portions are then broken up into paragraphs, 669 paragraphs, which are split into 5,845 verses, or psukim, and then that which are made up, make up 79,976 words, just under 80,000 words, and 304,805 304, letters in the Torah. Yes? Is there anything within the Torah itself that indicates what the tune is that it is sung? No. Very good question. So... The Torah itself, the written Torah as we have it, does not have any vowels, as we're familiar, those familiar with Hebrew know that Hebrew, the letters of Hebrew do not have vowel sounds at all. The vowels are little dots written under or inside or around the letters, um, and so it doesn't have any vowels or dots. Some letters, when they have a dot in them, change the sound. There's no dots in the letters of the Torah. And so it's all, um, there also are, while there are paragraph breaks in the original Torah, there are no, um, there are paragraph breaks, but there are no um, verse breaks, sentence breaks, nor is there any punctuation in the Torah. So to read the Torah, you have to know the correct vowelage, and you have to know the correct punctuation. The chant that we chant, called the trap, when we read the Torah, is a sophisticated form of punctuation. It's an expressive way of reading the Torah, and it expresses the content that the Torah is saying. So, um, 
so the, the, it's not found in the Torah and that has to be memorized by the reader the one reading the Torah in early history all Jewish kids memorized it today in Israel there are many schools also that memorize the truck and the children all know it very well uh, most schools here in the United States even day schools do not do that so if the Torah is missing even one letter or even if one letter is broken or not intact then the entire two letters are touching the entire Torah is not kosher so every letter must be exact before a Torah is brought into the synagogue not only must it be written perfectly but it must then be edited by an editor who finds any mistakes and then correct it so it to ensure that it has no mistakes and because of this care that we needed to make sure every Torah was perfect, we've been able to retain the exact original words and letters of the Torah exactly as they always were over 3,000 years. Over 3,000 years, despite being in different places, despite our exile, we have been able to retain the Torah exactly. Fifty-four parshas. Yes. Now there are also chapters in the Torah. Those chapters are not of Jewish origin. They are not part of our tradition. They came from the Christian Bible, um, from the Christian Bible, which is a inaccurate translation of our Torah plus much, much more. Um, and I should also mention one, well, one thing at a time. That came. It later seeped back into Jewish. Uh, books because it was a very scripture ver- chapter verse is a very easy way to source things so it was really efficient and so we adopted it but it has no significance in Jewish values and in fact if you look you study the Torah carefully you'll notice that a lot of the chapter break- breaks are in the wrong spot in other words they break for chapters where it's not really a new subject and really not in a good place to break for chapters how do you know where Aliyah's beginning is? That's a very good question. The Aliyah is when you actually split up the Parsha. Um, that is a much, much later development. The actually splitting the Parshas, the 54 Parshas as we have it, did not come from Moses. The paragraphs and verse breaks did come from, book breaks did come from Moses. The um, Parsha breaks did not come from Moses. In ancient times, there were many different traditions as to how to split the portions. The one that we have is known as the Babylonian version and it took root about 1500 years ago and we've essentially been using it ever since um, the Aliyah breaks came much later they're um, probably over 500 years old there's some variation from community to community exactly where the Aliyah breaks are and um, they're, they're not exactly the same in every Chumash uh, there is some variation in that so it's up to the reader to know where they are. We generally follow a standard, but the reader has to know what they are. Now, I should note that often people, and I mentioned this, I think, when we did a um, class on Tanakh, that often people equate the Old Testament of the Christian Bible with our Torah. It is not equal for a number of reasons. First, it's an inaccurate translation, but also what they call the Old Testament includes all of Tanakh, which are all the books of our Holy Scripture. The Torah is only the books of five books of Moses. We have another 19 holy books, but those other, and the Christians added a couple more, um, but the uh, 19 holy books are all, um, the 19 holy books 
are all holy, but not Torah, not instructions. And there are no commandments found in the other 19 books. Only in the books of, only in the Torah itself. So the Torah, the instructions, are just the five books of Moses. So what exactly does the Torah say? So the content of the Torah can be split into two. The laws, or what we call the halacha, and the agada. Agada is essentially everything that is not the laws is put in a generic term, agada. Um, now the Agada itself, the Torah's instruction, the, much of the Torah's instructions, laws, this is both the oral Torah and the written Torah, instructions of how we, God's people, should live. Specific instructions to our people. We have a tradition that there are 613 commandments in the Torah, many which include detailed rules. So there are detailed rules, halachas, that split into 613 commandments. Not all those commandments apply to everyone. Many of those commandments are only for specific situations, but yet they are rules altogether 613 commandments. The Torah doesn't give us that number in the written Torah, but our tradition tells us that is how many there are, exactly what that 613 are. In other words, which rules do you conclude as a, include together as a single commandment? And which ones are split into multiple commandments and how you count them is somewhat debated by Jewish scholars because we don't have a tradition of exactly what those 613 are. But there are definitely many, many, many commandments in the Torah. Yes? But today, how many rules apply to us now? There's 600 maybe applied then, but what about... There's that? about 100 that positive commandments that apply out of 248 that apply to everyone. Oh, to most people um, regularly, um, and a little bit more negative commandments, a little over 200 commandments that could be considered applying today. About a third of the commandments. And some are rare, some are more common, and exactly how you count that is also. There are different lists of what applies today. So, um, now the Torah also, in addition to commandments, has other sections, notably the stories of the Torah, as well as lessons for life and instructions that would not be considered commandments or rules. The stories cover our history from creation of our forefathers, um, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, slavery, the exodus from Egypt, um, the travels of Israel through the 40 years through the desert. It also tells us how to be, care be careful not to turn away from God, the good things that will happen to us, as mentioned in this week's reading, the bad things that will happen to us. The term moves back and forth, between these different parts, between the laws, the instructions, and the um, stories, and it uh, rotates moving back and forth um, from one to the next throughout. So, we believe that the entire Torah, as we have it, all 80,000, almost 80,000 words of the Torah, as we have 304,000 letters, was written by Moses exactly as dictated to him by God. So every word and every spelling of every word was dictated to Moses by God. Now, there is no intro to the Torah. There is no introduction where Moses says, God told me to write this down. Most books of our prophets do have introductions. They'll say, these are the words of Isaiah, son of Amots. Um, and a little bit about him, he introduces himself. Moses, doesn't that he saw from the prophecies that he had, the visions that he had, 
the Torah itself does not include any intro by Moses. This is what God told me to write or anything of the like. He only wrote exactly what God told him. It does at the end speak about Moses' death. And our tradition is that God told Moses to write that about his death before he actually died. So um, you can imagine what that felt like. So, so Moses writes this story. Now because this word... Because every word is exact, it is not Moses telling the story, but it is written as the story is told to Moses and about Moses. And so Moses writes about himself in third person. Though dictated by God, God throughout the Torah never refers to himself in first person, but it's always in third person. In other words, the Torah is spoken by a a narrator that speaks, God spoke to Moses. So it's a third person, a narrator, telling this story. Her tradition explains that the reason why God does this is because the Torah is sourced from God, the way he stands beyond creation and beyond his revelation to Moses. And that is the Torah, which tells the story that God spoke to Moses. So God dictated to Moses, write this, God spoke to Moses, saying as follows. And so it's all written in third person. None of it is in first person, except when it says God spoke to Moses and then God will be speaking as if he's speaking himself. Or it says Moses spoke to the people and Moses will be be then speak as if he is speaking to the people himself. Yes? Oh, you explained it. Okay. So while much of the Torah reads straightforward, large parts of the Torah are very cryptic and very hard to follow. In other words, you read the words, they just don't make sense. You don't know what it's saying. Um, That's because we believe there are also a number of contradictions within the Torah, where the Torah contradicts itself, or says things that don't make sense. Um, We believe the Torah was never at any point meant to be read at face value. It was rather given to the people as a code to be deciphered with the keys to the code and explain to them exactly how to decipher it. We have rules, part of our oral tradition, of exactly how to decipher the code of each Torah, uh, of the Torah, each, the code of the Torah, how to know what every word and every letter is saying. So we have a way to decipher every word and every letter. And we believe that the Torah must be read within the context of our oral tradition. And anything else would be corrupting the original intent of the Torah to be read within the context of our oral tradition as it explains the meaning of each word and each letter, what God actually meant. And that's through the oral tradition. The oral tradition gives us the context for what God actually meant, yes. So in other words, you have to start that right. study when you're... Right, it would be like taking a book of advance math or physics um, or uh, medicine and then trying to figure out yourself what it's saying without knowing the subject matter. And the different commentators, they're the people that they're the scholars. The oral tradition predates the commentators. The commentaries come later. Our oral tradition is found in the Midrash. Um, and then later we have um, commentaries that then explain the details of how it fits um, questions that have arisen over the years and the like. Uh, often, we're always within explaining according to our oral tradition based on the oral traditions. Like the most famous one I know is Rashi, but he's 11th century. Yes. Rashi 
mostly quotes the oral traditions, but also adds from his own as well. Yes? We have a new Chumash here that seems to fill in, uh, add much of the translation to bring more depth and meaning to the words. Um, who's writing that? The author of this Chumash. Um, is it a definitive? No. He, they picked and chose commentaries as they will. So is this a better Chumash than the other ones that we were reading, or does it just have more of the key to the answer? Better is all relative. Depends what you like. If you want a more exact translation, then no. If you want a more comprehensible translation, then yes. And what is the reason that the Torah was written in this you know, um, codified approach and the oral tradition you know, has to provide interpretation? Why did God write it like that? That is a very good question. Why did God write it? Why did God give it to us? So there are a number of reasons for that. Um, firstly, um, written word also, if you write everything down, it's going to be extremely large. Written word is very hard to retain also. In other words, the written word itself is hard to retain and hard to understand. So if it was only written, then people would give their own interpretations and try to understand it themselves. Oral explanations are a lot, a lot easier to pass from generation to generation. Um, I'd say that even written word, right? If everybody has the same book, everybody will read it differently. But if I sit and explain it to you, then I can explain to you exactly the way you're supposed to understand it. And the next person might explain it a little differently. They could, but if I made sure that you understood it as a teacher, then um, you probably understand it the same. Well, if you just take a book and everyone reads it, everybody would read it differently. Um, God wanted also the Torah to be a living Torah. In other words, that we should, it should be part of us, not just written down. Um, and perhaps just writing it down would have been extremely long. Um, the Mishnah itself is many, many times larger. The first work of our oral teachings, let alone the Talmud, is much, much, much larger than our written Torah. Uh, but perhaps most importantly, the Midrash actually explains that the reason why God did not write it down is so that it remains exclusive to our people. Because in later generations, the Midrash says, other people will come and translate the Torah and take it and build their own religions on their own translations. However, they will only have the written Torah. They will not have the real thing. They will never get the real thing. Yes? How is it explained or how are we supposed to understand the contradictions so there are no contradictions in the Torah. Uh, if you read the Torah, if you read the Torah at face value, there are. If you read the Torah within the context of our oral traditions, there are no. You got to know how to read it. If you read it as code, as we believe it is. So now the Torah itself is split into five books. And between each book and a Torah scroll, there are a few blank lines that separate between the different books. Now, each book is then subdivided into partio that we read each week, and structured in a way that we finish the Torah, reading the Torah over the year. So I'm just going to give you a quick overview of the different books of the Torah. Uh, I know we talk about it every week, but um, I had been asked some time ago to put it all together. So here we go. So the first book of the Torah is Bereshit. Now, 
Most of the books of the Torah have both, we generally term them by the first word um, of the, or the first words of that book. However, they also have, they often also have a separate name that our sages refer to them. And um, often the um, Latin name that they're called by in the Christian version of our Torah um, is often based on the name that our sages originally had for them. Bereshit, though, is the first word of the Torah, and it, that's the name that it was always known by. And it is uh, known in English as the book of Genesis, which means the beginning. And so the, Bereshit, the book of Bereshit is all stories. There are only three commandments. The rest is all stories. The, book, the whole book takes place before Sinai, before any revelation at Sinai. It begins with the story of creation. It tells us how God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. How Adam and Eve were created. How they ate from the tree of knowledge and were expelled from the Garden of Eden. How Cain killed his brother, a his brother Abel. They were the two sons of Adam and Eve. Um, and then it gives us a brief synopsis of the generations for the next 1600 years until the birth of Noah. And finishes by telling us that the people became very corrupted. The second reading is called Noah, which tells us about how God brought a flood to destroy the now corrupted people, um, saving only Noah and his family in the ark. After the flood, God promises Noah to never destroy the world again. Noah has a, a few incidents himself after the flood. And then it tells us about how Noah's grand, uh, children, grandchildren, how they spread across the world, concluding with Noah's great, 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 great grandson, Abraham, who lived some 400 years later. The next portion begins with Abraham, and through till the end of the book, begins with Abraham, and tells us about Abraham, who recognized God, and is chosen by God to be the father of his chosen people. So the rest of the book of Genesis is going to detail the stories of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jacob's 12 children. So Abraham comes to the promised land, as, told by, as God promised him. God eventually makes a, makes a covenant with Abraham, known as the covenant between the pieces, that makes the covenant of circumcision with him. Then, at age 100, he has a son, Isaac, Yitzchak, um, and then tests him finally with the Akedah, with the um, test of um, where he's told to sacrifice his son till God stops him last minute. Um, then Isaac marries his cousin Rivka, Rebecca. They have two children, Yaakov and Esav. Um, Yaakov, uh, es uh, Jake, uh, Yaakov ends up getting blessed by his father who had wanted originally to bless Esav. Esav wants to kill Jacob. Yaakov, Jacob then runs away to his uncle Lavan in Haran. There he marries Lavan's two daughters, Rachel and Leah, and then eventually there are two maids as well, Bilha and Zilpah. Together they have 13 children, 12 sons and one daughter. Um, they come back to the Promised Land. His son, Joseph, um, who is um, the older son of his wife, Rachel, his favorite wife, um, is, his brothers are jealous of him. They end up selling him as a slave. He ends up in Egypt, where after trials and tribulations, he ends up becoming king of Egypt. Um, eventually there's a famine, his brothers come down to Egypt, they meet him, and he convinces his brothers to bring the, his father and their entire family down to Egypt, where he promises to support them. And with that, the book of Genesis ends with <coughs> Joseph's death in Egypt. Uh, are there very many commandments in that book? No, no, there are only three commandments in that book. There's the first commandment to Adam and Eve, to be fruitful and multiply, which is one of the first of our 613. Um, <coughs> there is a commandment to um, Abraham to circumcise and then later when Jacob has an incident where his thigh is 
dislocated when he wrestles with an angel, we are told that the children of Jacob should not eat from this, should not eat the sciatic nerve. So those are the only three commandments in that book. We don't eat the sciatic nerve of an animal. That's a nerve that goes through the hind parts of an animal and could cause you a lot of trouble if you ever pinch it. So, so then the book of Exodus opens with the sons of Jacob being enslaved by the Egyptians. Then Moses is born. He's from the tribe of Levi. Um, at the time, Pharaoh is killing all Jewish males, all Hebrew males. And so his mother hides him in the Nile where he's found by Pharaoh's daughter um, who raises him. Um, eventually, Moses finds an Egyptian taskmaster master, uh, beating a Jew and kills him. Moses is forced to flee to Midian where he meets his wife, Tzipora. Um, and then later God Moses becomes a shepherd and where he lives out the 80 years of his life and then at the ripe old age of 80 he begins his career when God tells him to go to Egypt and take his people out of Egypt Moses there meets his brother Aaron they come to Pharaoh Pharaoh says uh, they ask Pharaoh to let the people go Pharaoh refuses Moses brings 10 plagues on Egypt finally after the 10th plague God allows Moses to um, Pharaoh, sorry, allows the people to leave. Before the 10th plague, God gives Moses a number of commandments, um, including the Passover sacrifice, the celebration of the festival of Passover, um, and laws regarding Passover. Finally, they're allowed to leave. After the Exodus, God gives Moses a number of commandments to remember the Exodus, including the mitzvah of tefillin, wearing the tefillin and um, uh, redeeming one's firstborn son. Then, um, after they leave Egypt, the Egyptians regret having let them go. They chase them. They meet them by the Red Sea. Over there, um, the sea is split for the people. They walk across. Um, Pharaoh's army drowns. They sing a song thanking God for it. Um, they then continue through the desert. They run into trouble when they run out of water. God helps them. They run out of food. God gives them the manna. Eventually, they run out of water again, and they have a rock that, um, that creates, generates water. Um, and then they come to Sinai and at Mount Sinai God makes a covenant with them they become God's chosen we become God's chosen people um, and we commit to following God's commandments and then, af and then after at Sinai God then tells us the ten commandments um, which are really ten statements as Sarah Tadib wrote they include actually 16 of the 613 commandments are included in it so if someone ever says ten commandments say no 16. 16. They know how much? 16. 16. 16. They're called, the Torah later calls it the Aserat the Ten Statements. But in those Ten Statements given by God, there are multiple individual commandments. So then God then instructs Moses a long list of commandments, mostly interpersonal commandments, um, how civil commandments of civil law, um, what to do if someone hurts somebody else, um, and the like. Um, and so we have a long list of commandments. And then Moses goes up to Mount Sinai where God teaches him. The rest of the book of Exodus speaks mostly about the temple. God tells Moses to build a mishkan, a temple in the desert. And God gives Moses great, great detail of exactly what the mishkan is going to look like, what the, how the kohanim are going to dress, the priests are going to dress, and then how the mishkan is going to be inaugurated. Then after the law, all the details about the mishkan, Moses comes down from Sinai and... Moses comes. It's cold. Put on seventy-two, please. 
So Moses comes down from Sinai and he sees the people have worshipped the golden calf. He breaks the tablets that he came down with and he begs God to forgive them. Um, and then he goes back up to Sinai where he has um, some interesting conversations with God about um, asking God for forgiveness and God reveals himself to him. And then God tells him, go down the mountain and go fashion yourself two more tablets and I will inscribe the Ten Commandments again. He goes back up a third time and God inscribes the Ten Commandments. He comes down and then, yes? Was the first set of commandments different than the second? No, exact same. And then... I'm sorry, I'm confused. You talked about all the, uh, the writings about the, the tabernacle and all that. I thought that came after the golden. No, the instructions came before him. In the order of the Torah. Now, we know, and I should mention this, that the Torah is not written in chronological order. So not everything that happens in the Torah happens in that order. But this is the order that is written in the Torah. So then, they, then Moses comes down the mountain, and they actually build the Mishkan. It tells in great detail exactly how they build the Mishkan. Everyone donates things toward the Mishkan, and then they actually build it, and it is erected. That ends the book of Exodus. Then the third book of the Torah, yes? Sorry. Um, as far as the ages go in time, is, is it related to the way we relate to time, like people living so many years? That is a very good question. Um, not directly related to our subject, but I'm going to address it nonetheless because it's such a good question. So the Torah... <laughs> No competition. So um, the Torah does describe people living very long years. Prior to the flood, all the way through to Noah, people live over 900 years, very often. Post the flood, it gradually decreases until Abraham, we have Abraham living 175 years, Isaac living 180 years, Jacob 147. And then it gradually declines to Moses lives 120 years, Aaron 123 years, Joshua 110 and then it continues to decline until by the days of King David some 400 years later people are living 60, 70 years the kind of life spans that we would consider normal now there is no evidence in the Torah the Torah refer is referring to other year lengths in fact the, it appears that the years of the Torah follow the calendar exactly as our years do today um, how do we, um, how do we um, understand that? How do we explain that? Um, I do not know. I don't have an answer other than um, that's what the Torah tells us. We do know that it is physically possible to live longer. We don't know when there are organizations they working on that. Um, in theory, if people were less susceptible to diseases, and in theory, if... Um, we didn't age as fast. It would be possible to live longer. Not necessarily everyone lived longer, but people did. Um, but again, we have no reason to believe that it is not meant to be taken at face value. Other than it is outside of our experience. So when we speak of the impossible happening, there are some miracles in the Torah that are miracles because they break laws of nature. There are some miracles in the Torah that don't necessarily go against nature, but are simply out of our experience. In other words, not what we are used to. 
Um, and so the length of years of people in the Torah is definitely not something that we are used to or familiar with. Is that impossible? We don't have a reason to say it is not. Um, did the Torah not really mean it? Um, generally, unless we have a very strong reason to say, such as it being absolutely impossible, um, and the Torah not describing it as a miracle, generally we would take the Torah's words at face value, especially if it's something so consistent, such as the length of years that people have. Yes, Marla? Um, back to Adam and Eve. Mm -hmm. you know, we hear all this stuff about not eating No, it was not oh, a good thing. He just did, but yeah. no, God taught him not to. He broke God's rules. <laughs> so let's move on with the book of Vayikra. The third book of the Torah is the book of Vayikra, the book of Leviticus. Uh, it is also called in Hebrew, Torah Kohanim, the Torah of the Kohanim. Somehow the Kohanim became Leviticus, I'm not sure how. Uh, and it is almost all instructions that God gave Moses in the Mishkan. Almost the entire book is, is instructions. It begins with the rules of sacrifice in very great detail. It then tells about the inauguration of the temple, on the day of the inauguration of the temple, how Aaron's two sons, older sons, Nadav and Avihu, both died. Um, it then moves on to further instructions, including the laws of kosher, ritual purity, the service in the temple on Yom Kippur, forbidden relationships, interpersonal mitzvot, mitzvot for koanim, the festivals, and just goes on for a very, very long time with Many, 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 many commandments. Um, the Torah gives us a brief story about someone who cursed God and how he was punished. And then it tells us the laws of Shemitah, Yovel, um, every red land should rest every seven years, every 50 years, other laws of the land. Then it gives a long list of things that, good things that will happen if we follow the Torah, an even longer list of bad things that will happen if we do not. And it concludes with the laws of donations in the temple. So a lot of rules in Vayikra, very few stories. The fourth book of the Torah, the book of Bamidbar, the book of Numbers, or called in Hebrew, Chumash HaPkudim sometimes, opens with the counting and organizing the tribes, separating the tribe of Levi from the 12 tribes. Moses is then given a handful of commandments, including the commandments about a sota, about a woman who cheats on her husband, the Nazir, a person who had, makes a Nazarite vow, um, to grow their hair long and not come in contact with the dead and not drink wine. Blessing of the Kohanim. And then we go back to the inauguration of the temple. We tell how each of the 12 tribes brought special sacrifices for the inauguration. Um, and then we, the Torah tells us about celebrating the first Passover in the desert, the first anniversary of Passover. And then it tells how they finally left Sinai and um, they finally begin traveling. Then it tells about their travels over the next few months. Um, they get into a lot of trouble. First they complain about the manna. They get into trouble. Then um, they send spies um, to the there. At the edge of the promised land, they send spies who advise them not to the end of the land because they would not be able to conquer it. The people don't want to go, want to go back to Egypt. God punishes them by making them wander through the desert for another 40 years. There is a rebellion led by a cousin of Moses called Korah who ends up being swallowed up in the ground. Um, in between... These stories, there are a number of commandments there as well. Um, in between, God here and there gives Moses commandments. The Torah then jumps forward 38 years, the death of Miriam, Moses' sister, after which 
um, there is no water. They come to Moses. God tells Moses to um, speak to a rock, um, and he does so, and then God punishes Moses. There's some debate as to exactly what Moses did wrong, but God tells Moses and Aaron, you will not get to go into the promised land. Um, then we're told about how Aaron dies right after that. Then they move around from southern Israel to the east of the Jordan River. In other words, they travel northeast, east of the Jordan River. Um, they capture large lands east of the Jordan River from these great mighty empires, uh, kingdoms of um, Sichon and Og. Then there's an attempt and they settle their right east of the Jordan River, ready to cross. At this point, there's a land to their south called Moab, which is actually descendants of Lot, our cousin. And um, the Moabites hire a prophet called Bilam, a non-Jewish prophet, to curse them. He fails to do so, instead gives us blessings. Um, then they are seduced by Moabite and Midianite girls, and they end up worshipping their idols. And their uh, plague breaks out, and many are punished. Um, and then God counts the people and gets ready, Moses gets ready for, ha to hand over the leadership to, uh, he appoints Joshua as his successor. Moses then tells, God then tells Moses the loss of the holiday sacrifices. Then there's a war with Midian, which was a nation to their east. And then Moses gives, God then gives Moses detailed instructions about conquering the land, dividing the land, the borders of the land of Israel. And that ends the book of Numbers. The last book of the Torah is the book of Devarim, also called Mishneh Torah, the second Torah, because a lot of the Torah is repeated in this book. It is called, in English, Deuteronomy, um, the second Torah. So Devarim really takes place in the last 37 days of Moses' life when he speaks to the people. It begins by saying these are the words that Moses spoke to the people. And so he warns them to follow God in the land. He reminds them of mistakes that they made, particularly that of sending the spies and not wanting to go into the promised land, worshipping the golden calf, reminds them of some of the other mistakes. He reminds them of the miracles God performed for them. He reminds them of the revelation at Sinai, how they managed to conquer the lands east of the Jordan. He goes over many basic beliefs and values in Judaism, the belief in a single all-powerful God who has a unique relationship with our people, not to forget God. Um, he then goes through many of the commandments, um, some repeating those that were already mentioned earlier in the Torah, mentioning many new ones and concludes this very long list of commandments with a list in this week's parsha of all the good things that will happen if we listen to God and the bad things that will happen if we do not. And then the Torah finishes on the last day of his life. He writes the Torah down, gives it to the people. He appoints Joshua as his successor. He teaches the people a song he composed called Ta'azinu, which is then written out in the Torah. Then he blesses all the tribes. And with that, Moses, the Torah concludes with Moses' death and Joshua taking it over. And that concludes the entire Torah. Well, that is a very brief overview of the Torah. Yes. So Moses, did he know ahead of time that he was going to talk to the rock? Oh, no, I don't know about that. No, that he wasn't going to go into the promised land? No. Although God keeps dropping hints, but he doesn't get the hint until God tells him explicitly, you're not going. Yeah, one other question. I didn't know that there were 16, as opposed to the Ten Commandments. What are the other statements? Ten statements. It's ten statements. Some of those statements include more than one commandment. So, so such as it says, remember the Shabbos and keep it holy. Right. Do not do any work on Shabbos. Those are really two commandments, but they're part of the same statement. Oh, yeah. Oh, so the extra six are part of... Yeah. Uh, 
So Jews have always been very familiar with the written Torah. In fact, we constantly quoted scripture. We read it, um, non-Jews also, until 200 years ago, were pretty familiar with our Torah as well, and quoted extensively. If anyone's ever read the Federalist Papers, um, they're filled with quotes from scripture. Um, almost every other line, they quote scripture. Um, and because everyone was familiar with it, Jews, of course, are very familiar, particularly with our written Torah. We read it three times a week in our synagogue, studied with children the Torah from a very, very young age. The cycle of the 54 portions allowed us to read the entire Torah every year. So all Jews have traditionally and should be familiar with the entire Torah. If you haven't yet read the Torah cover to cover, I strongly encourage you to do so. Every Jew should be familiar with the written Torah. Uh, we have there's a number of great translations, some more um, exact translations, some with more commentary that adds all the explanation from our oral tradition. Um, we continue to read it year after year after year, finding it more and more and more in it. Um, Jews historically live with the Torah. In other words, we always share about, talk about the weekly Torah portion, share lessons from the Torah portion every week. Um, and so it's something that we should be reading week by week. The Chayeno makes it really easy. We should be reading the weekly reading every single week, being familiar with it, um, studying it. We continue to study it. We never forget it. After the death of, jo of Moses at the beginning of the book of Joshua, God tells Joshua, never let this Torah um, be, uh, depart from your mouths. You shall study it day and night. You must constantly study the Torah. And uh, never forget it. Every Jew should be fluent in this Torah. This Torah has guarded us for 3,000 years, and it will continue to do so.